Well, if y'all would go ahead and forgive me, I'm, I'm going to start with another reading of Scripture, this time uh, from a, a different testament. Listen to these words from Leviticus. Trust me. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and you shall eat your fruit to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. It continues, If they do not listen to me, I will send faintness into their hearts and the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another, and they shall have no power to stand before their enemies." I think it's funny, isn't it? We turn to masters of cultural criticism and think pieces and various columnists and look at what we find in the most overlooked book of the most overlooked testament in scripture. Listen again. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight and they shall flee when none pursues. Does that sound familiar to you? It certainly sounds familiar to me. It's, of course, a description of of fear. And I would say that fear is probably one of the defining large-scale cultural sentiments of our present moment. I am no master of the the large-scale cultural sentiment, but this one seems clear to me. Fear is a pervasive condition of our abiding moment. Whether you are right or left or you identify as liberal or conservative, whether you're a Christian or not, I think fear is a common denominator for most of us. We're afraid of losing certain ways of life. We're afraid of losing our rights. We're afraid of engaging with people we dislike. We're afraid of losing power. Some of us are afraid of a new president. Some of us are afraid of an old president. And this doesn't even mention the kind of low-level anxiety that many of us carry in our hearts deep into the night that keeps us up and burns insatiably. Anxiety is, of course, one of the most commonly experienced uh, mental illnesses in the country. I think there are around 40 million people in the United States today who experience anxiety, who have a a diagnosis diagnosis of that. And then I'm sure that over the past year that number has, has only increased But what is striking to me as a Christian is that scripture tells us again and again and again and again and again, over and over, both testaments, all over, to not be afraid. It is pretty much unilaterally condemned in the Bible. There are, of course, sections in wisdom literature that encourage a healthy fear of the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a a sort of humility before God who holds all things in his hands. The fear that I'm talking about is something very different. Again, the words of Leviticus, for the Christian to live in fear is to flee when none pursues, to run away at the sound of a leaf. I'll spell that out for you. For the Christian, fear makes no sense. It makes no sense. And yet how many of us, so many of us, baptized Christians run all over the place running away from no one. But just listen to these lines of a song that we just heard sung beautifully. 
For God alone, my soul in silence waits. From him comes my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And then just listen to all of the names that this one psalm has for God. God is a refuge. He's a hope. He's a fortress. He's a salvation. He's a glory, a power, a steadfast love. He is a rock. And that last word reminds me of that part in Matthew chapter 7 at the back end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus describes the man who built his house on sand and the one who built his house on rock. And if you remember that parable, the purpose of it, of course, is to describe the way that listening to the words of Jesus is the only sure foundation for us. But I think there is also an additional suggestion in the parable. And it's that we are all living in some place. We're all building on something. That something, of course, could be in anything. It's ultimately, though, either rock or it's sand. And it's kind of like when someone asks you what you've been up to and all of us say, well, you know, nothing. But of course, we're all doing something. We're all always doing something. We're taking care of our kids or going to work, watching TV shows, staring at our phones. And I think the point here is that you're always building on something with your life. You're always dwelling somewhere. Another way of putting it is you're always confiding in something. And if you're confiding in the rock, then you will not be shaken. But if you are confiding in sand, then you'll flee when no one pursues you. You'll run away at the sound of a leaf blowing in the wind. Here's an example of what I think this looks like sometimes. My family lived for some years uh, in a beach town in South Carolina. And uh, if you've ever lived in a beach town, you'll, you'll immediately resonate with this. They can be strange places to live because it's a, a transient community. You'd have, you know, people come in every summer and they come and sometimes you get to know them. They'd come back regularly enough that you'd, you'd make friends in church or whatever. Then you also have plenty of folks who come and they retire and they're kind of stable. Sometimes they leave as well. And then you have this other group who would come down in middle age. And usually these people had some story. There was always some backstory to their moving to the beach. Maybe they were, you know, running away from a marriage that didn't work. Or maybe they, they had some job deal that fell through. But they moved to the beach to find something new. They moved to the beach to find some new life. But of course the, the beach is just like any other place in the world. It's just a place. And the problems that someone would have in Milwaukee would be the same ones they'd have in Polly's Island or wherever. They they follow you. They're all the same. But the point is all these people would move to the beach because they were afraid. There was some abiding issue or problem that they'd had and they were horrified of it. So they moved homes. They moved to the ocean as if the ocean would solve your problems. And I would say that there are probably many of us, maybe we haven't moved to the beach yet, but we're also running away from certain fears or anxieties that we might have that we hold deep in our hearts. And again, this psalm that we just heard sung has the answer for us. And it's simple. The first step is basic. You stop. If you are running away from your fears, you have to stop. 
You have to stop and wait in silence. Here again the words of, of the psalm. For God alone my soul in silence waits. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock. I shall not be shaken. So you have to stop running away from your fears and you have to quiet your soul to enough of a degree that you can hear from the Lord himself, the one who is a sure foundation. And the psalm points out people who don't do this very well. Verses three and four are about David's enemies who seek to gain power by violence. And then in verses nine and 10, there's the section that describes those who set their hopes on wealth and whether they achieve that wealth through honest means or extortion or robbery, it still doesn't help. It says you set your heart on wealth and you are but a breath and a delusion. Wealth will not remove your fear. More money will never remove your anxiety. And the answer, of course, is that repeated refrain. It wasn't repeated in our reading, but if you look at the actual psalm, it says it twice. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. He is my fortress. He's my salvation. So that's the first step. You have to stop and wait on the Lord. You have to pause long enough to learn just what it is that makes you afraid. And the even scarier part is, I think you have to do it every single day. For some of you, that could look like taking time before you go to work. For others, it could be stopping by the chapel that's right over here. For some of you, it could look like a more contemplative, meditative practice. For others, it could literally be sitting in your car before you walk into a business deal. But you must stop and wait on the Lord and affirm that he is your strength and salvation. Stop running. It won't save you. That's not the last thing, of course. After you've quieted yourself, this psalm teaches us, and you discern what you're afraid of, you do what the psalmist says in verse 8. He says, Trust in him, God, at all times. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge. See, I think it could be tempting to read verses 5 and 6. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see it. And then verse 8 is contradictions. One says, wait in silence. The other says, pour your heart out to God. But they aren't a contradiction if you know what prayer is and what it feels like. Both are part of what it means to turn to God. They both describe what it looks like to invest your fears in God. They both together describe what it's like to build your house on rock. You quiet your soul, you discern what your fears are, and then you offer them to the Lord. You pour them out at his feet. And I think plenty of us are are somewhat afraid to do this. Most of us, I would imagine, I feel this way sometimes, you feel as if your fears are a problem, so you just don't address them at all. But clearly that's not what this psalm means. If the answer is to pour out your heart to God, then it means he wants to hear the things that you're afraid of. And so your fears are not a sign of some problem. It's if you only bury those fears that it becomes a problem. But to pour them out to God is to build on the rock. So you have to quiet your soul. You've got to pour them out to God in prayer. And if you are afraid or you're anxious about being anxious, don't be. God wants to hear the things you have to say. That's how you build on rock. Now here's the the final part of the psalm I think is suggestive and helpful as well. It guides us. In verses 11 and 12, it says you have to remind yourself who God is. Listen to these verses. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and steadfast love belongs to you, 
O Lord. I think there are two parts to this here. The first one is in verse 11. He, he says, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. What I think he's saying is, once God has spoken, but I have heard it twice. In other words, God said it once, but I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to remind myself of the things he says again and again and again and over and over and over so that I drive them deep into my heart. Then, of course, the question is what? What do you drive deep into your heart? And that's the second part of the verse. God is both a power, all power, and he is merciful. It says steadfast love. The other translation of that is mercy. God is all power. He is all mercy. And he's both of them at the same time. Can you imagine someone who has all power in the universe also has infinite mercy for your fears? I think of it a little like this. My, my son turned one yesterday. He's, uh, he's our first little boy. And um, he is at a stage in life where there is, there is nothing that makes him afraid. I mean, you know, at the end of the bed, he could go off it like a runway. Of course, he's not going to soar. He's going to hit the ground. But the reason that he is so um, unafraid is because he thinks that I will always catch him. He knows that I'm always going to be there. I never leave his side. If you were to watch me on my days off, I follow this child around the house every which way. He knows that I'm never going to let him fall. But I do know that he's going to get to some day, maybe it'll be nighttime, and he's going to get afraid of the dark. And he's going to come running to me or Caroline in the middle of the night. He's going to say, I'm afraid. And the thing that I'm never going to say to him is, look, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Go back to bed. No, I'm going to bring him into my arms and I'm going to tell him that I love him and it's going to be okay. And only then will I tell him there's nothing to be afraid of. Bearing your fears to God is a little bit like that. He has all power. You don't need to be afraid. He also delights to hear whatever it is that keeps you up at night. He promises that he'll listen to us. He promises that he's the one who can fix our problems. And he promises even to live with us. This is Epiphany, of course, y'all know. Epiphany is all about calling. I think the calling of God can be a terrifying and scary thing to move deeper into relationship with him. But if we listen to the words of this psalm, not only is there nothing to be afraid of, but when we are afraid, we bear our fears to the Lord and follow him wherever he leads. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.